Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a community of superhero movie fans, teachers, and students, people looking to discover more about superheroes and the world because both are awesome. I'm your comic book culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsman, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week, we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's comics, movie, money, science, or the law, SMSP has it all in this week's episode. What are you doing? Do you want me to kill you? Oh, you're not going to kill me. No! It wasn't easy to make, Clark. It took years and cost a fortune. Luckily, I had both. He's down here! I don't like Kyle freaking Silver! You're feeling it now, aren't you? What the rest of us live with every day. Your own mortality. Don't worry, you'll survive. The kryptonite will work its way out of your lungs soon enough. Bruce, your heart. But I didn't have to go easy on you. A different binding agent, a stronger mix. I want you to remember that. I wanted to remind you to stay out of my way. In all the years to come, in your most private moments, I want you to remember the one man who beat you. Uh, uh, uh. The Dark Knight Returns, Parts 1 and 2. And yes, there will be spoilers. Spoilers! All right. And, Skyward, you missed the opportunity to say punks. Oh. As your add-in word. Yeah. Shit, I could have been such an old, fuddy-duddy Batman, but I was not. Mm, The law? What is this, Dread? That is Dread. You silly I wasn't guy. Really watching Dread. Batman doesn't care about the law. No, you don't, Ben. Dude, he gives this whole monologue at the end of the movie while riding a horse, like I am the law. Yeah, well, he doesn't know what the hell the law is. Yeah, all well, right. nothing. <laughs> First opinions all around. You know what? Let's put them. Uh, 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 I'm gonna start this time. Actually, let's do that. Um, this movie. Directed by J. Oliva, Olivier, Oliva. Uh, somewhere there's an I to placed somewhere to make his last name pronounced differently. Uh, he has taken it upon himself to recreate the Dark Knight Returns comic book into this two-part, hour and a half each, animated features. And you know what? They're pretty true to the story. Um, I saw it really as you can never really get the correct tone of 
the book, of course, because they're two completely separate things. And I don't think it really does anything better because it does everything the exact same. The script, the shots are almost as well as he can mimic to the layout of The Dark Knight Returns uh, with just modern animation. Um, and, of course, he doesn't use any sort of internal monologue that is, like, prevalent throughout the Dark Knight Returns story. And whether you say that helps or hurts the actual animated film, basically I saw it as just an opportunity for more people to get interested in such a pivotal piece of comic book work. and for all the fanboys to just be like, all right, we made it, okay? We 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 transferred it into moving form. Are you happy? <laughs> and I think we are. Popcorn Ben. I'm not happy. Popcorn You're a sourpuss. No, <laughs> no, um, not, not yet. Not yet, Skylar. Um, I really love the book. It's a great, great graphic novel. Um, but the movie animated adaptation of it was physically painful for me to watch, um, mostly because of the voice acting. Um, I forget who plays Batman. He's really good. But basically everyone else just kind of talks in this very monotone voice, and they don't... They, it's very clear that they're just kind of like reading the script and it, it, it feels very like, oh, come on. Like, I know you're just like a cop that shows up for two scenes and then you die, but, you know, make me believe that you're actually frightened of that mutant. Yeah, that, that was about it. I couldn't finish. It was physically painful. Mm. Popcorn Skyler. All right. Well, I've always um, found uh, this story a lot more interesting in its second half than in its first anyway. So um, first half of the movie is, you know, it's a good introductory for the story you're getting into just to kind of ease you into the fact that, oh, hey, this is going to be a really, really dark Batman story and a very literal adaptation of the book that uh, uh, it's named after. But if you want to see a lot of the uh, core conflicts and uh, confrontations and whatnot from the book done in a, a literal sense, well, you could do a lot worse than this movie. Uh, it's like Michael was saying, lots changed from internal monologue to basically surface action, but in that process, lose the monologue, gain some awesome music that I'll be talking about later. And uh, yeah, it was entertaining, diverting, good enough. You guys, you guys are so, you're so hard to please. This is not, this is not, it's fine. I guess it's not no it's not fine it's painful um this is not as good as uh what was the last batman movie we watched under the red hood it was it's under the red hood is far better than this movie uh Uh, well two book two movies yeah these yeah sorry whatever uh these (laughs) movies are not as good as under the red hood but the book is better than under the red hood the movie you guys are such snobs (laughs) it also kind of suffers from that the Watchmen problem we've talked about where it's such a direct adaptation that it just feels weird. Well, I think it works more with animated features 
Because it works better, but there's still like something off about it. Because it's sort of like a motion comic at this point, of just like you're sort yeah. of re- reading everything outside of the internal monologue, <laughs> yeah. and just going through the motions. And like I said, if you hadn't read the book, this gets you interested in it, and going, oh, I should read this because this is really awesome. Yeah, I will reveal that I hadn't read the uh, graphic novel before I saw this a few years back. And uh, seeing the second part first, just as a quick, you know, oh, let's just throw it on, whatever. No, it's definitely a representation of what the source material is, and it's interesting and fun. So if I came off as like, oh, it's okay, whatever. No, it, it's definitely entertaining, and it, uh, if it gets you to read the book, well, all more power to it. Speaking of the book. Oh, Michael. okay. Deals <laughs> with some fast facts. Some some facts about the comic book. As we all know, this is based, of course, on the four-issue miniseries of the same title, The Dark Knight Returns, um, part ones, two, three, and four. Uh, they all had different names, though. Written by Frank Miller and drawn by Frank Miller and Klaus Johnson with coloring by Lynn Varley's. Uh, the colorist needs to be noted in this because it is some pretty phenomenal coloring work. And this all came out in 1986, right off the heels of Watchmen. Anyway, focusing on a grim, grizzled, and disillusioned Bruce Wayne returning from Batman retirement after 20 years, as well as all vigilantism outlawed. Because it wasn't outlawed already, it was kind of sanctioned. Which was weird, because, I mean, the Justice League did have a satellite in the sky, but now nobody was having any of that, and they were all retired, except for Superman, of course. But now Batman comes out of that retirement for one last crusade against injustice, because he just can't take it anymore. No real reason, no big conflict that pushes him out outside of watching the news and hearing about people dying. And then, of course, he triggers two... Of the four conflicts he gets into. <laughs> very, very Dark Knight Rises kind of thing. Because he fights four characters. He fights the mutant leader, which was a problem. Had to take care of that guy. He fights Harvey Dent, who would have been a problem. Had to take care of that guy. But because he comes out of retirement, Joker now feels he has a meaning to live and be crazy again. So now he's got to handle that problem. And because of how he handled Joker, Superman's got to come down and show some law, and Batman ain't having none of that. So when the books came out, it was met with mixed and positive reviews right away. Uh, some praised Miller for transforming such a campy warhorse character into a grounded, more realistic view, uh, while others called The Dark Knight Rises, oh my god. Other, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's so easy to do. Uh, well, others called The Dark Knight Returns cluttered, wordy, convoluted, and just overall juvenile in its lead-ups to its violent confrontations. So a Frank Miller book. True, true. Um, Batman was... A, uh, they, they complained more that Batman was a bit too much changed. Uh, he is pretty clearly gets off on the pain he inflicts on 
the villains that he comes across, uh, which is it's a little alarming, like the fact that you notice that he's going to be depressed unless he's dressed as a bat fighting criminals. You see that he's gone pretty crazy, whereas before the the major divergence was this is the first time we really see a dark down in the dirt Batman because the populace was only familiar with the Adam West style of the 60s. Uh, there was some political uh, conflict storylines that came out in the 70s. Denny O'Neill had a famous run, but most of the people only knew Batman as Adam West because that's what was on TV. So now we've got this like big new comic book that comes out and like everybody's reading and talking about it because it's just so different. Uh, also, with everybody getting so interested in Watchmen, that this book is a huge influence on comic books. I mean, the series was a was a tipping point in moving the comic book industry out of the Bronze Age and into the Dark Age, in the period where heroes get dramatically more psychologically complex and more popular characters are anti-heroes, such as the Punisher, Wolverine. And Lobo. Can I just say, of all the most distressing things in this book you were mentioning earlier, probably the biggest one is just seeing all a Batman all old and frumpy grizzled, and yet still as big as the Juggernaut. That's just how they drew him. I mean, Superman was also drawn that way. I mean, look at how they drew the mayors, too. One of them was shaped like Egghead, and the other one had like a weird uh, uh, towered chin. He is is a little comical in his in his art style. Frank Miller is, and uh, I think Klaus Jansen really reined that in a lot. I'll talk about that a bit more after I quickly explain how the ages work. Because you're going Bronze Age, Dark Age, Silver Age, Gold Age. What does all this mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> so here's here's how it goes. All right, the ages have beginning. Less and less shiny, because you know gold, silver, bronze, because comic books have sold less and less total over the years. But each change is when there's a big shift in tonality of how comic books were perceived, a paradigm shifts. Because during the gold age, golden age, when we first see comic books come out, superheroes weren't really the hot ticket. You had a lot of war books and a lot of romance comic books um, that were highly popular. You know, uh, Archie, Patsy, and Pals. <laughs> and then you had really the Silver Age come out when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby started redefining superheroes in the world of Marvel in the 60s and just world building. That's when you saw a huge resurgence of comic books based on superheroic characters. The Silver Age was also filled with a lot of camp and childish storylines because after the 1950s, comic books were accused of influencing children to be murderous and lustrous criminals. True. Which, which was true, of course. Like video games today. Yes. With, there's, I mean, I learned everything I know about how to treat women from Grand Theft Auto. Mm. Yes, indeed. Because you all know you can get your money back if you stab them after you've had sex. Right. Right. See? You will, you will go far, young man. <laughs> mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. 
So this was this was the talk in the 50s with comic books. And so comic books said, all right, don't put any restrictions on us. We'll restrict ourselves. That's why a lot of the Silver Age books get a lot of that campiness, and that's why 1960s Batman got a TV show where he looked ridiculous. Because uh, that's honestly what a lot of his stories were like. And then we sort of move and creep into the Bronze Age, where we get more adult themes. Uh, they talk about drug abuse, are, are, are a hot topic, as we've discussed before in Green Arrow, with Roy Harper becoming addicted to drugs and uh, Harry Osborn becoming addicted to drugs. Very political. Uh, a lot of storylines dealt with the political environment of the time because of things like Reaganism, the Iran-Contra affair, a lot of things that involved if Jimmy Carter was a really good president or not. People were not very sure at the time. So books are filled with social commentary. And so after the bronze, we move in to the Dark Age. So this is this happens in the 80s, where you get Watchmen, you get the Dark Knight Returns, you get Mouse, all coming out within like three years of each other, and going, wow, people really like these deep psychological sort of thriller books. Let's keep making those. And you get this, like I explained before, these 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 dark and gritty characters, and that sort of that sort of gets misinterpreted as we get farther too, because people don't really it's 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 hard to tell what age we're in right now, because it's either considered still the dark age, if we move to a copper age, or people are just really content with calling it the modern age, or um, postmodern, or post yeah I get postmodern happened since the eighties. Or that, since every every time. Deadpool is like a postmodern masterpiece. <laughs> we we like might even be of the comic book art form itself. We might even be to the post postmodern era. Yeah. God Re- stop, you hipster fuck. But really, it's it's because people want to group everything since the Copper Age into one sometimes, or they want to separate it because what happened in the 90s kind of wants to get classified as its own thing. God, the 90s, man. What a weird time. Oh, the 90s. So that is how ages work, by the way, guys. Just a general general overlook. There's a lot more to do with it, but that's kind of how you can... If I'm talking ages, that's how it goes. So moving on to a little bit more information about The Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller actually created a widely negatively received sequel to The Dark Knight Returns in 2001 called The Dark Knight Strikes Again, where Batman returns after three years of hiding to suss out the dictatorial rule of America by Lex Luthor. I have read this, and it has many inklings of fantastic ideas that are tremendously poorly developed so many good ideas actually for real it's like the it's like fantastic four 2015 i i guess no because there were a few there there was a lot of stuff there that was not a good idea uh okay uh also a big hinderment to this was a hindrance hindrance is also that klaus johnson uh jansen did not return to co-illustrate with frank miller so Frank Miller did all of the artwork, and in my not professional opinion, 
it is awful, and it ruins anything good that the series had going for it. More like a big Hindenburg. Oh, jeez. Hindenburg. <laughs> Hindenburg. Uh, maybe, maybe that. Uh, um, nah, Hindenburg. Maybe that parallel was a little too on the nose for that one, though. <laughs> uh, even okay, it's it's within like the first ten pages. The drawing of Carrie Kelly as Catgirl alone was enough to like almost make me want to put the book down and just go. All right, I'm done. That was so. She looks so disgusting. Why is she not Robin anymore? Recently, a third part to this Dark Knight nonsense has come out called The Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. What could go wrong with that title? Uh, it, began pu- it began publishing in November 2015, coming out monthly. Frank Miller returns with co-writer Brian Azzarello, with art again by Frank Miller, Klaus Johnson, and Andy Kubert. Miller has announced that he will also be making a fourth part after this as well. So stick around if you want more tales of old Batman. One last topic to cover, though. A couple of changes from the book to the movie were worth noting. Like we said before, the eternal monologue was cut from the film. Directorial choice. Uh, Gordon has the vice of cigar smoking throughout the book. And in the movie, it changes to nicotine gum because you're not allowed to show people smoking in media unless it's for mature audiences only. And this is still labeled as a kid's film. Remember that. For some reason. For some reason. Brutally violent and dark. Yeah. But clearly smoking is the most egregious thing they could show in this movie to children. Yeah. America's rating systems are just messed up. They indeed... When it comes to blood and violence, they indeed are. In the book, Two-Face tries to blow up Gotham's Twin Towers as his master plan. In the movie, it is called the Gotham Health Building instead. Yeah, dealing with that touchy subject. Wasn't there a part in the uh, 2001 sequel where Batman flies his vehicle into Lex Luthor's tower? Maybe, probably. I mean, Lex Luthor's tower was like on a space station. Uh, so, I mean, flying planes into towers has just become a tragic – there's a lot of comic book evident, uh, 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 stories that dealt with massive, like, world-encompassing terrorist explosions, attacks, and they're like, violent imagery from New York. The Statue of Liberty has been broken. The two towers are collapsing. And people are going, whoa, did they predict the two towers? Yeah, no, it's just a regular thing. Yeah, they totally did. Of course. Oh, have you heard my? Uh, I, 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 uh, 9/11 was a conspiracy. Of course it was. We yeah. all know this. Yeah, the conspirators were like 19 dudes from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Jeez. That was a joke. Yeah. Oh, another and a payoff, and it was funny. <laughs> another uh, another thing worth noting is that they changed the big famous quote around. From the book, you have in all when when Batman is beating up Superman, you have the famous line of "In all your years and in all your private moments, I want you to remember my hand around your throat." In the movie, they changed that to "I want you to remember the one who beat you," because didn't want to put a hand around a throat. 
I guess that's too violent of words. American ratings, yay. They made up for that, though, when they added the line at the at the funeral where Jim Gordon is talking to Superman and he asks, were you a friend? Not knowing that Clark Kent and Superman. And Clark says, I think so. I couldn't say. Sounds about right. Because <laughs> that perfectly describes about every Batman relationship. Yeah. So we that is actually it, a pretty man. good addition. That yeah, see? Some 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 nice nice actual You made up for it, guys. Okay. That sums up the comic book section. A bunch of weird different topics to talk about, but all pertaining to the Dark Knight in one way or another. Let's move on to music. Are we not gonna talk about bat nipples? Oh shit. I forgot. One big thing. Out of all the th- we need to we need to address this. Out of all the things they've modified, lines, imagery, whatnot, they still kept the character with swastika nipples. For how um, acclaimed this book is, it will always have that one thing that it did worse than Batman and Robin the movie. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> The nipples well, were slightly worse. Yeah, swastika nipples are never really a good time. Well, yeah, yeah. Movie-wise, I think you could have translated Michael, that a bit. Are you shaming? Am I what shaming? Are you shaming our audience? Why am I shaming the audience? Think shaming. What shaming? Never mind. Also, we'll talk about this later. What shaming? No, Think we're shaming. on. You're shaming them for their kinks. Kink shaving. Oh my goodness. Kink your mic, shaving? No. Your mic is not picking up the fact that you're saying that word. Um because it's a yeah. hard piss sound. I'm not getting that one either, so you're like shaving. shaving. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, geez. I am kink shaming you. Yes, I definitely am. If you like swastika nipples, don't. Just, just that one. You can pro- I mean, if you can like tassels there, I don't care. Do what you want. You want like, whipped cream? Sure. I don't care. But swastikas? Come on. I feel as if you should have a little tact. You should anyway. have a little tact and stop kink shaming our audience. Oh, shut I'm up. I'm just trying to be inclusive here. Any mu- anyway, music. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> okay, Donald Trump, Ben. All right. Music uh, is once again written by our resident Batman animated composer, Christopher Drake. Spoke about him recently uh, for his music for Batman Under the Red Hood and uh, the video game Batman Arkham Origins. This time around, I think I might have found my favorite score of his because, well, let's just take a listen first and then I will explain what thoughts came to my head when I first heard this. Name of the track is These Men Are Mine. Starts out making you remember the Dark Knight rises, and then you go, Oh no, this is something new, guys. This is something different, but with a little hint of that regular Batman you know. 
Okay, so this is what I love about this music in particular. Christopher Drake is awesome in that he can make different sounds for different Batman. The music to The Dark Knight Returns sounds like Batman meets... Like if John Carpenter were to make a Batman movie, Batman meets Escape from New York, The Thing, Halloween, something like that. All at once. All at once, like that awesome synth 80s sound, just repetitive, uh, (laughs) like sinister. Tense. It's very tense. Tense, almost dance-worthy, and it just works perfectly for the setting of this story in particular, which is in its own kind of dystopian 80s future, whatnot. And I was instantly hooked when I started listening to Started listening to it. Uh, next track I have on the docket is See You, Ellipses, In Hell, which uh, accompanies the final confrontation between Batman and the Joker. good stuff that reminds me of the dread soundtrack it really does it has that it's funny you say that just between this and the seasons of arrow we recently did there's just so much synth tech edm kind of sounds creeping into superhero music these days and i'd say four out of five times it works perfectly this one being a great example of that just because it's so addicting in how it gets you with those hooks like this one does. Um, And then for the last track I've got for tonight is I Want You to Remember the One Man Who Beat You. Mm, Not the one man who put his hand around your throat? No, they they kept it uh, movie appropriate for this one. Yeah, because beating someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Another one. He really beats off Superman. Yeah, he does. I mean, it's another uh, fan service for the kids out there. (laughs) Here's the music.
If I didn't have an undoubtedly epic Hans Zimmer junkie L- XL score to look forward to with Batman versus Superman, I would say just throw that on with a live action movie and you will be all set. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, no, I'm not gonna. I I think we're we're missing a lot of violence. Yeah, that's There's the one. There's plenty of violence in this movie. Strange. Uh, well, not Hans Zimmer level. Or really... I mean, this had a plenty of, of drums, but the drums were not destroying your ears, which is typical of the Zimmer style. Right. As I say, were we not looking forward <laughs> to that? Getting Hans Zimmer. <laughs> were we getting someone like Pitoff to do the score? <laughs> we're to move on out of music. To our resident wigged out dude who is just stressing out on all corners of life right now. Who are you calling wigged out? You, man. I'm pretty stressed out about everything. I was going to say, I don't know when you're going to just snap and say, I can't do the show anymore. Well, it depends on how okay you are with me not. Oh, wait, spring break's coming up. I'm going to be doing nothing except watching shit planning on just like watching superhero movies all spring break <laughs> that's all right that's a true nerd yeah. all right, so let's talk about as much science as we can all right that we haven't already talked about before okay as well as... we, can do, we can do one science and one math yes of course one statistics one statistics all right let's, let's... start with uh start with the science okay the uh cold bringer missile right the cold bringer Hey, the Cold War. Give some context. Yeah, because nukes were such a hot topic in the 80s of the Cold War, of just who yeah. was going to fire first, Russia or America. Mm-hmm. And Frank Miller said, Russia fires first because we have a Superman. Um, I love that one scene where where Ronald Reagan is dressing the nation in a bunker in a hazmat suit. He's just like, well... We beat the Ruskies, but turns out they're uh, sore losers. <laughs> so there's a missile coming to destroy us all. So God bless a little watchman Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, it was really comical. But then that, that missile, Superman stops it, quote-unquote. Uh, he diverts it, but it still detonates. Mm-hmm. And Batman says, well, that wasn't a regular missile. That was a Coldbringer missile. And it, while it was also a nuclear missile in its own right, it was designed to maxim, maximize environmental impact, creating the effects of nuclear winter with the effect of only just one missile launch, as well as a very wide-ranged EMP. Yeah, so I think we've talked about nuclear winter before with V for Vendetta. Um, basically what happens is a nuclear blast goes off, and it creates massive firestorms, and everything burns. And then all that soot and dust goes up into the atmosphere, and rather than being like a global warming effect, it's a global cooling because not as much sunlight is reaching Earth's atmosphere. Everything gets cold. Now, the way that they kind of like just do it completely wrong in The Dark Knight Returns is that EMP blast is completely irrelevant. Because it's all about how much burning, what, how big a fireball you can make. And then all that soot is what blocks out the sun. 
Not any kind of electromagnetic pulse. But what what triggers the electromagnetic pulse then in a bomb? And how much range does it have? Well, technically speaking, um, like an electromagnetic wave goes on forever because it's transmitted by photons. Photons are massless. You can prove that forces transmitted by massless particles have an infinite range. Okay, yeah. now describe EMPs like I fucking asked you to. Oh, so the idea is you have <laughs> um, a, a, well, what it sounds like, electromagnetic pulse. So you have a pulse of magnetic energy that is designed, like, it messes with electronic equipment, for example. So one example, a um, pretty good one, is uh, solar flares on the sun um, send out a, ma a bunch of, electromagnetic energy, and that could interfere with um, communication satellites, Wi-Fi, you know, power grids on Earth. But it wouldn't cause a nuclear winter. That's caused by dust. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, how... how do, Nukes do create EMPs, correct? Yep. Because electromagnetic energy is... Like, electromagnetism is photons, and... If you don't believe me, read the Feynman Lectures on Physics, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. So does the EMP source from the massive explosion? Yeah. So it needs to be all, that, all that radiation. Okay. Along with all of that energy being released, mm -hmm. because two atoms smash together, right? Yep. It releases a bunch of photons. Mm -hmm. There you and go. Everything it, it comes it, – it, it explodes in heat. It explodes – in electromagnetism, mm -hmm. so in like every, every form you can. Yeah, so like um like a gamma ray burst is an example of an electromagnetic pulse. Mm -hmm. So a bright flash of light, technically speaking, although usually when we talk about EMPs, it's the ones that can interfere with electronics. Oh, okay. So an EMP blast has to be big enough. It has, yeah, it has to be it has to be strong enough in the right the right frequencies and all that. Okay, because I'm like, how far does it go? Like, if it hit the east coast of America, would everybody feel it on the west coast? Yeah, um, you could do some math, but basically, I think I think like it'd be spherical, right? So surface area, the strength of the blast would be like like inversely proportional to the surface area. So it would, I think, it would fall off with proportion to one over the radius squared. So it'd get it'd get weak. Kind of quickly. Uh huh. But it's like the same kind of inverse square relationship that gravity has. How very interesting. Yeah. Nuclear explosions, man. Let's talk about statistics. Oh. Before we do that, does anyone want to take a crack at why Superman got all and withered after the uh, explosion? Other than the fact that it was really hot? Because of uh, reasons. Well, Superman's energy is sourced from the sun. Oh, yeah. So therefore, if he has to exert a lot of energy in preventing himself from dying from a massive explosion, which he is at the center of, it's going to take a lot of the solar energy as he has started up because he's just a big battery. That's all he is. And then he goes, okay, I need to access the sun for more energy, but he can't because there's all this suit and, and stuff now in the atmosphere blocking yeah. His ability to reabsorb sun rays. Yep. 
I viewed him more as like just a sponge that just got wrung out. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, but then yeah, exactly. And then like when you try to soak the sponge and get water, you know, make it floof up with water, then you like you turn on your faucet and it's just like a couple drips, and you're like, well, this is not helpful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he tries to fly up and gets hit by lightning. He comes back down because he's still hurt, and then eventually he just absorbs all of the solar power that has been stored among the plant life around him for like eight miles instead i feel so much so much more learned now yeah which is you know that was also a little bit odd because i guess we're assuming he flew away from ground zero because there would have been no plant life anywhere near that detonation point like i said those firestorms everything Mm -hmm. burns so he must have been able to get far enough away to just be like, all right, let me touch this flower. Ugh, okay. All right, let's go. Got to get out of here. Got to get back to the sun. Mm-hmm. Right. So one more science topic then. Stats. Stats. All right. Let's talk about the mathematical uh, impossibility of... Uh, a certain situation. All right. So Dark Never Turns likes to be praised for its realism and just grittiness, of course. But there is one topic that has always bugged me, was not readdressed in the film. It didn't need to be, I suppose. But in the second conflict, where Batman has to fight Harvey Dent, he comes out of retirement, and he sees Gordon, and Gordon gives him a report, and he says, All right, last night, two helicopters were stolen. To which... They just keep moving forward after those words have been spoken. And I gotta say, who the fuck let two helicopters get stolen? There's a story there. Two military copters. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah. One, I, I don't remember if they said one of them was or, and one of them isn't, but at least one of them is not. If, if Batman was like, oh, did he go to like a news station and just get the Channel 5 copter because they just left the keys in the freaking dashboard or something? No, he went to a military base and he found a military Blackhawk and stole it. Just took off. Yeah. They just leave the keys in ignition? Where the hell did he get one of those in like 24 hours? You break into a military base and kill all the guards and steal one. Yeah, okay, which brings up another point. Uh, Is Harvey Dent doing all of this? Because if so, is he just flipping that coin like it's nobody's business and he's like, all right, I got to get heads. Come on, get me heads. Let's go. Yeah, so that's that's the problem. That's the question is, like, how many guards – like, if there's, like, one person guarding the whole helicopter, then, like, the best chance he has of getting it – like, that's the best-case scenario, and it's a 50-50 shot. Otherwise, okay. you know, he flips it and he gets the tails, and he's like, well, shit. Yeah. Oh, crap. All right. Like, I'm flip flip again. Yeah, I'm just going to go home. Try again what, if tomorrow. There, what, if, what if there are five guards, like, at minimum – Five guards guarding a military-grade helicopter, and Harvey. Yeah, so there's like the dude at the front gate. There's a dude like in front of a hangar. There's uh, so yeah. Let's say like five guards. Then he has like a 3.1 percent chance. 3.1 percent chance. One divided by two to the fifth. Oh my gosh! Like you could mathematically pinpoint based on the amount of life he has to. disintegrate with bullets. Yeah, because... How well Two-Face's plans are going to go. 
He doesn't have, like, stealth or special ops training or anything, so he's not going to sneak past these people. He just has to, like, walk up to them, hope they don't shoot him first, which, how likely is that if you're Two-Face? Everyone knows what you look like. <laughs> and you're on a military base illegally. Ugh. And then you have to flip a coin and get heads every time you want to kill someone because you're Two-Face and that's your shtick. Or, or, or I think it's tails because it's a two-sided head coin, but one side scratched out. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel as if there's the nerdo or the proto nerds out there, like, yeah. mm, excuse me. <laughs> I'm always on yeah. the lookout because I am one. It's almost like Two Face is so ineffectual he would end up helping Batman just as much as he would hurting. Yeah, like he would just like walk onto a military base and be like, okay, okay, uh. Oh, it's heads, and then he kills you, and then he flips the coin again, and it's tails, and he's like, "Oh, now what?" And then he gets, then he gets his ass shot and put in jail. But they just don't talk about how the hell this guy got his hands on two helicopters in 24 hours. Also, he just got released from the psychiatric ward, and it's a big deal. Nobody's yeah. watching him. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, once you're released, then you're you're, you're free to go. I guess. Jeez, he's all over the news, though. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, it's it's like he said in in just the Dark Knight, not the Dark Knight Returns, uh, just the Dark Knight. You know, I make my own luck. That's that's what happens. Yeah, ungodly amounts. Okay, I think I think I've grinded my beef with that. <laughs> just get that out there. Someone explain that to me, by the way. A fan Phrasing. explain. Yeah. That's our that's Ooh. our fan our fan challenge of the week. <laughs> I always love bringing those back because uh, nobody ever takes us up on them. Um, hey, Michael. Hey, you're Matt. still a little salty about how those helicopters got stolen. Why not just drink to forget? <laughs> we can do that with the rules of the Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and 2 drinking game rules. Redundancy. Yay. All right, let's start off with an easy one. Just a simple one. Just so you know that it's going to be a good night, take that swig every time Batman grunts due to his old age. The first person to say, dead or alive, you're coming with me, loses or wins or just drinks a lot. A person has to – like like you say that? You are being the participant of the game or you hear that line? Yes, the participant will say that when they realize that Peter Weller is the actor who played RoboCop. Oh, did he say punk a lot in RoboCop? I'm pretty sure there are at least a couple instances of uh, punk. Some uh, some punkage showed up there. Yeah, where yeah, where he's just like, put down the gun, punk. I'm thinking of Clint Eastwood in Dirty Harry. You're definitely thinking of Dirty Harry. Yeah. Oh, which by the way, this whole series is based on. Fun fact. Clint, uh, Sudden Impact, which is the sequel to Dirty Harry, was the inspiration for The Dark Knight Returns, as well as Frank Miller turning 29 and going, hold on, I'm as old as Batman? Nah, this is bullshit. I'm going to make a story where he's at least 50 because I grew up with Batman. He cannot be the same age as me. In case you wanted some origin story. Dirty Harry is also the name of my... Um gun when I play Dungeons and Dragons. Son, I'm like, ah, don't. (laughs) 
Anyway. Um, more rules. More, more rules. rules. <laughs> Take a drink every time. Rampant bloodshed. Rampant bloodshed. Gotta love that. I love seeing these things in the in the, in the family aisle. Man, it is the best. Because you're just like, somebody's head goes through a freaking gear grinder on a roller coaster. This is a family film. Yeah. Family fun for everyone. Okay. Mission parks are like one of the great places to take your family. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gordon learned that. Oh, jeez, don't. What's it? Killing joke. The other one. Killing joke. There you go. <laughs> uh, take a drink every time you accidentally call The Dark Knight Returns, The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, jeez. Yep. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, drink Bacardi every time you see a big ass bat. Big ass bat. <laughs> I, don't what, I don't know what was funny about that. I don't know. It sounded I don't like think it was funny. I was just trying to fill space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, take a drink every time swastika nipples just to forget. Oh, uh, yep. That's yep. it. Yep. Yep. Um, Oh, 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 but also, just to torture your friends, every time you can say a line in the movie before it's said, you get to point at someone and make them take a drink for being a punk. Also, you get to be really annoying with an excuse. I was I got to feed in at least one rule that makes all the nerds be a lot less intoxicated because their bodies just can't take it. <laughs> Take a drink at the uh, Reagan cameos. Yeah, Reagan making his way back. Reagan's all around. Oh, the butt of the liberal jokes. The butt of you again. Of liberal butts. Did you guys caucus? No, because it's tomorrow. Yeah. No. Okay. This is not going to go up tonight, though. Mm-hmm. I'm trying. I'm asking, like, did you guys go caucus so that when you guys say. No, I can be like, oh, well, isn't it awful that certain states had certain results that I don't agree with? And then you can be like, oh, yeah, and make it seem topical <laughs> after the fact. Yeah, because we're premonitioners over here. Right. <laughs> Soothsayers. I like how you're planning this big thing out and just really hoping that... That you guys would pick up on it. <laughs> like you had this big master plan, like you were going to steal two helicopters... And you know what? It just didn't work out because the world is a lot more complex than things that just move along plot. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up today. Uh, Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes. How much more do I have to say about that? That's about it. Yeah? You think yeah. I'm good? I think you're good. You think I'm good? You know what? I what works, guys? Do I have to shovel out money into your mouths to make you just go, "All oh, right, yeah, five, um, five stars." I don't know. I don't know what's gonna take. Uh, I'm making Ben laugh too much. He's uh, he's, he's getting too smart. Because I do this every show, you know, I rant and I rant because I know there's at least like 50 people who just haven't freaking rated it yet, and you keep listening. I don't know if you're the same 50 people, but I would assume you are. I'm not getting 50 new people to just go, oh, yeah, this show, I haven't heard of this before. Oh, it's shit. All right. And then another 50 <laughs> just come along next week. I don't get it. Uh, so, you know, like, the, the people who do think we're, like, total garbage should, like, 
definitely go to iTunes and rate us one one star because oh. like it's super it's way easier to do that. It's way easier to hate something than to justify your liking it. <laughs> so go <laughs> Jeez. Right? That's why I hate every movie we watch for this, because it's usually be like, no, it's dumb. <laughs> Rather than like having to explain what I liked about something. Mm. You know what? Just talk about the website. Yeah, so we got a website, trapcop.com. That's where you can find all our uh, – that's where we're hosting our podcast now. You can find archive show notes. Uh, you can connect with us. Uh, it's great. I'm going to – you know, you you say all that, but I'm still the, – the, the process with the website, quick update. We gave a small update after Arrow Season 2. So, you know, like we've got about three episodes left until our spring break, and – Right before the spring break, we're going to do a mailbag, so we might as well announce that now, by the way. Uh, we're going to do um, Deadpool, and then we've got a special fan request episode, and then we're going to do a mailbag. All right? And that mailbag will announce how the whole transition's going to work, because more details will come, but you might lose us for two weeks, because the feed has to get moved. <laughs> That's going to be a process. That's going to be a so stick with us. Go on, son. You'll find it on trapcap.com. Popcorn Skyler. <laughs> and we're still on Twitter, which we still will be during our interim period. You can find us at Super M Studies. Has nothing to do with Judy Dench's character in the Bond movies. Uh, let us know at which point you found out Frank Miller was a total fascist fuck. Holy shit. <laughs> Nice. Back off. <laughs> he produced one of the most monumental comic book works in history. All right? Gotta I'm give sure that makes him a good person. Speaking I don't know if that makes him a good person, but I think we can, you know, lay off the, the, the political slurs. Speaking of fascist fucks, how about those recent caucus results? <laughs> yep, so recent. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> That'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Skyler Houtsma. And Ben Anderson. And we hope you all have a super week. Punks. Bye.